Case played outstanding. You know, you know, I wish the two throws he had in the second half would have uh, not would have not made. But uh, you know, he's an excitable guy, and he needs to understand when when's the good the good plays and the bad plays sometimes. The two interceptions. Are you, do they worry you? Do uh, uh, how do you mix it? How yeah. do you mix it in the evaluation? Of them? Um, it's a good question. Welcome into episode three of our five-part series, looking back at the Minnesota Vikings' Miracle 2017 season. In this episode, we focus on Vikings weeks six through 11, where they emerge as a Super Bowl contender, not just because of a big win, but also a key injury in the division as well. And to help me break things down, I am joined by ESPN's Courtney Cronin, who was in her first year covering the Minnesota Vikings, and things at this point, Courtney, were very normal. We had had the starting quarterback put together one of the best games in team history in week one only to get injured on a non-contact injury and then try to come back in week five only to leave the game and have Case Keenum lead a victory so we go on to week six and the Vikings are playing the Green Bay Packers coming off this big win with Case Keenum showing that he can grind out uh, a win in Chicago which is not something that has been very easy in Vikings history And right off the bat, in the very first drive, Aaron Rodgers goes down at the hands of Anthony Barr. So let's start there because that was one of the key moments of this season becoming a 13-3 and year for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I mean, it not only changed the outlook of that game, uh, they didn't change what they were doing defensively. I remember I went back and looked, and Green Bay had 72 yards rushing. Brett Hundley looked awful. I mean, some of those throws that he threw under pressure were just, you know, more panic than any any throw that Case made in Week 2 in Pittsburgh that year, which makes you think, whoa, they have a backup problem. Uh, but they sacked him four times. So, I mean, the defense that game did not let their foot off of the Packers' neck whatsoever, even after taking Rodgers out of that game. And I just remember thinking, because in the process of of researching for this podcast, I went back and looked at some of the things that I wrote, uh, game stories analysis follows from the 2017 season. And I just remember thinking how much that play, that one play changed the dynamic of the NFC North Mm -hmm. entirely, which is, you know, it's certainly obvious because it took the Packers out of contention to win their sixth division title in seven years. Um, And they weren't the clear cut favorite from that point on, but even beyond that season, because think about it, like what happened after the Rogers collarbone injury changed, got a rule changed simply because the NFL did not want to be without its star quarterbacks. Um, at the hand of a defender like Anthony Barr. So that training camp the following year, we're still dealing with what happened in week six. I mean, it was such a, you know, big moment, not just for the Vikings, not just for the NFC North, but really for the NFL as a whole, where the league kind of concedes, hey, we need our star players playing. We need to protect the quarterbacks at all costs. And really, in terms of, I guess you want to call it legislation, led to, you know, some rule changes that kind of put the NFL on notice for a little bit. I just remember what all this flashing forward to 2017. But, you know, back to the time being, you know, they this changed what, the NFC North looked like because the Packers had a 64% chance of winning the division, uh, according to ESPN's FBI prior to week six. And then the Vikings had a 21% chance. So then that jumped after that game alone, that to me showed you, Hey, the Vikings have a clear path towards this thing. The bears are exactly who we thought they were. Uh, the lions are what they are. Uh, and it went from 53% that game from Minnesota to win the division. And then it continuously every single week incrementally increased to where that one game changed the Vikings trajectory to have a clear path towards the division title. Right. It's as much of a turning point in a way as Chicago with Chicago, with Keenum coming in in the second half and sort of going blow for blow with the bears and and proving that they could win that game. That was the one we remember because it was so significant that Bradford had looked 
terrible and looked like he was not going to be able to come back and be the starting quarterback of that team, and yet you could still win with Case. But the following week, you're playing a real opponent. You could have said, all right, well, yeah, it was still the Bears. It was still Mitch Trubisky and his first start as an NFL quarterback going up against the number one defense. You should come away with a win in that game, but now prove it back at home at U.S. Bank Stadium. Second drive of the game, Aaron Rodgers was already struggling a little bit in this game. Like He looked a little bit off. The Vikings' defense is great, and he's pressured, and he rolls out away from Anthony Barr. He releases the ball, and then there's a half a tick. There's that sort of one misses, and then Anthony Barr not only falls on him, but uses his entire weight. And that's where you point out that they have changed that rule, and actually the next preseason they went, batty with that rule and started calling it anytime anybody <laughs> fell on anybody as a 15 yard penalty. But the big debate was spawned. Did Anthony Barr do anything wrong by throwing his entire weight on Aaron Rodgers, who had already released the ball and it was gone out of his hand enough for Anthony Barr to decide to just push him, but instead he decides to grab him and fall on him, and Aaron Rodgers is hurt. He would eventually come back later in the season and play one game, but then did not play. If I have that right, he then he did not play again after that. So we were wondering, yeah. is he going to play the Vikings here? But they were still mildly in contention, and then that went away, so Aaron Rodgers sat out the rest of the year. I want, I want to say it was that Week 15 game, uh, where the Vikings were playing the Bengals. I don't remember offhand who the Packers were playing, but Rodgers was practicing going into that week. But by week 16, they said, you know, it's it's done because the Vikings, when they played at Lambeau Field in the penultimate game of the 2017 season, they were not facing him. They were still facing Brett Hundley. Right, and we will get to that in our next episode uh, because that, even though it was a forgettable game, has a couple of events worth noting that would affect them later. Uh, so did you feel that Anthony Barr did anything wrong? No, I really don't. And even to this day, after watching that play over and over and over again, it feels like a football play to me. Think about how quickly those things happen in real time. And yes, he was out of the pocket. Yes, the ball was released from his hand. He was in the process. It was motion. It's literally like, how do you stop a speeding car going 90 miles an hour within a split second? You just don't. And We've argued about, did he throw all of his body weight on him? Did he purposely drive him into the ground to hurt him? I don't think any of that is true. I think that the way, uh, what you can boil it down to, it was a football play. Was it dirty? That's always going to be up for debate. In my opinion, it wasn't. In my opinion, it was a football play. It was not blatant. It wasn't roughing the passer. You know, of course, they, they went and they made legislation, so this wouldn't happen again because the NFL knows its viewers and its ratings depend on having guys like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, you know, their best of the best playing because people want to watch those guys play. They don't want to watch Brett Hundley. Um, but I don't think it was dirty. I really don't. I, I, I know that we've gone over this again and again, but watching it and watching just how that sequence of events happened to me, there was nothing they could have done to avoid it. Unless Anthony Barr, the split second, just runs out of the way or slap, try, you know, tries to like one arm him, whatever. But even then, you're asking something that that's just just not a natural action. It is a natural action for someone to tackle somebody in the form that he did it. And even now, it makes it more difficult because you have to roll your body off of the quarterback mm -hmm. very quickly, um, which is such an unnatural thing for somebody to do when you're tackling somebody. So no, I I don't believe that it was a dirty play, and I don't believe he was in the wrong. I mean, that's how quarterbacks were hit for the entire history of the NFL up until that point when the rule changes later. And the fact that he was not flagged on it, he was not fined on it but either. I fined. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, the NFL didn't, at the time, like, we can go back in hindsight and debate it all we want. What happened and what the NFL said happened shows you that they didn't think it was bad. So that's what you got to go off of, like what actually happened. There was no fine. He was not suspended. There wasn't even talk of that. I remember that following week, you know how fines typically get leaked out on Fridays? Yep, yep. Um, and when there was no fine for Anthony Barr coming into, that would have been the Baltimore game that was going into week seven. 
you know, this just this uproar. And we were in the locker room at Winter Park because we talked to him. I want to say it was either it was some point that week or the week thereafter, just about, you know, the letters he had gotten. Like, I guess they were reading them in the locker room. To yeah, my and, understanding. Yep. they the would like read them stuff like that. Yeah. They would read them out loud. Just all these death threats he was getting. It was really out of control um, when you think about just how that whole thing played out. And I know you're going to get to this in the next episode, but, you know, we had to revisit it when we talked to him ahead of that week 16 game and thinking, are people going to throw bottles at you at Lambeau <laughs> Field? Yeah. Like how nuts that was over a foot, a true football play, but because it's a heated division rival, I guess you can't expect anything less. And Rogers didn't do anything to calm it down. Rogers then claimed that Barr had done something uh, that forced him to, you know, get really upset and yell at Anthony Barr as he was walking off. But he also kind of complained about the hit being unnecessary. And there was some video evidence of Barr making a certain motion that might have been offensive to Aaron Rodgers after he was <laughs> yeah. hurt. So, uh, but yeah, I, we, we could, yeah, I remember that. I remember yes. watching that. But family-friendly you know, podcast, so I won't describe it in detail. And McCarthy didn't, you know, of course he's going to say, I didn't like the hit. He's clearly expecting to get hit uh, because Aaron was out of the pocket. But to pin him to the ground like that, he thought that was an illegal act. I don't really think he pinned him to the ground. It's not like he stood over him. It's not like this was something that happened for three, four or five seconds where he held him in place after tackling him. He he crushed him. I'll, I'll give him that. I mean, it was a hard hit, but he also rolled off. Like at the end, I mean, not right away, but he rolled off at the end because that was the, that was within the parameters of the rule at the time. So you mentioned that Brett Hundley has to come in and we had heard for a few years about Brett Hundley. Oh, he's a good backup quarterback and they really like him there in Green Bay. It became evident very quickly that he was not prepared to play against the number one defense in the NFL at U.S. Bank Stadium. And after this game that was where I, I made a comment to another reporter. I think uh, the Vikings just won the division today, even with Case Keenum, because Keenum does not play well in this game either. But Brett Hundley just looked like he was going to be absolutely zero threat to take a team all the way to the playoffs. We had seen enough from Case Keenum in the past and then the past couple of games to know that he could at least play in the NFL. Hundley didn't look like he could even play in the NFL. And this is the game where Harrison Smith emerges in my mind as a defensive MVP candidate. He ends up with one and a half sacks and an interception in this game. It just was as dominant as Harrison Smith ever has been. The last couple of years, he's been great. He deserves to be a pro bowler. But 2017, he was really starting to peak. So he's just coming off of getting a game-winning interception in Chicago. And then mm -hmm. he dominates Brett Hundley with two sacks and an interception in this game, too. Yeah, I mean, this was... For any year that Harrison Smith has had, at least the ones that I've covered, this one was the most prolific, mm -hmm. I think, just yep. because of, you know, he truly lived up to all pro status. I want to say week one through week 17 and then even into the playoffs. I mean, there was never a moment where you forgot that he was out there um, and, and particularly Green Bay, for whatever reason, he had their number this year. I mean, probably because Brett Hundley, who. As you'll remember, I kept confusing with Nick Hundley, I believe was a backup the Padres baseball catcher. That's player, how, yeah. <laughs> that's how forgettable uh, this quarterback was. Um, you know, it was just, it was such a, it's such a captain obvious thing to say, but like this was probably, I want to say his best season since I had covered the team. Yep. And for me, cements him as, as the best safety, which was hilarious because that was the year that he didn't make the Pro Bowl. Yes. Um, but you know, he was he was just so good and so heads up. And, and that's the point where he had Anderson Dejo playing opposite him um, for, for the entire season. That's when the two of them were, you know, very much in lockstep. Um, I love the development that I've gotten to see from Harrison Smith from that point on, because it felt like at any time the game might have been in question. He sealed it and he was the reason for that. 
Yes, and this is a, a great example of that. And so Hundley is struggling in this game. But on the offensive side, we're still not impressed. We knew that they were going to win because of how bad the quarterback play was for Green Bay with Hundley coming in for Rodgers. And th- this game is never really in doubt at any point. Uh, Hundley does get a touchdown pass to Devontae Adams, but then Jarek McKinnon scores. And even though it was a close game at times uh, in the first half, 14-10, to 10, you still did not ever get the sense that Green Bay could move the ball good enough to score against the Vikings, but the Vikings did not run away with this. We still were not to the point where we were convinced that Case Keenum could win a lot of games or make this team a legitimate contender if Sam Bradford didn't come back because he still was struggling. He goes 24 for 38, 239 yards. One of the biggest plays in this game, actually the biggest play of this game is a screen pass to Jarek McKinnon. And this is when Pat Elfline uh, was actually good. This was before he gets hurt later on in the season. And then it's really affected his career after, but we were looking at him like he was going to be a franchise type of center. And he was showing it on plays like that, uh, where they set up that screen pass to Jarek McKinnon. Stefan Diggs is out for this game. Adam Thielen plays pretty well. Laquan Treadwell, Treadwell. actually, yes, this is actually one that we could have forever. Yes. Uh, the block, but also he makes an amazing one-handed catch and we could, third quarter could have seen it as a moment for Laquan Treadwell. And that'll get us to our, our next game because it becomes not a moment for Laquan Treadwell the following week. So I, I look at this one though, uh, Courtney as being maybe the real turning point. We look at Chicago much more as well. You were two and two and you get that gritty win and you start to go forward and gel as a team after that. And there's something to that. But in terms of what it meant for the NFC North and what it meant for Aaron Rodgers to be out, this was more important. And overall, in the entire NFL, one of the reasons the Vikings end up with the number one defense in the league is a lot of quarterback play. Uh, A lot of quarterbacks were hurt, and and not having to face Rodgers twice was a big part of that. Yeah, and that was this cleared the path like we've talked about i'll i'll always still kind of look at chicago as that turning point simply for the fact that they don't win there that often um the bradford injury was so poorly mismanaged in that game he should have never been playing and for case to come in and take over at the end of that second quarter and then going into Mm -hmm. the second half and have the performance he did in conjunction with what Harrison Smith did in Chicago. I don't know if I thought they were for real then, but at least that was an exclamation point, like a very much a statement win. Probably, in my opinion, they're the number one statement win that they had. That in in this game and then Atlanta um, in the 2017 season. It, once they started winning, when they went on the big win streak. But, I mean, the Green Bay game, you just look at the division and say, hey, we have a shot. Yes, it's week six, and we've got another 11 weeks to go before uh, the playoffs are even within reach, but we have a chance. And that was, looking back in hindsight, probably the biggest takeaway that I had, that they realized the division is wide open, it is ours for the taking, because Chicago is not a very good team. Um, and at that point, Mitch Trubisky had just become the starter. Uh, and then they knew that Detroit, which version were they going to get the version that they got in week four or the version that they got on Thanksgiving day. Right. And, and Detroit was still a fairly competitive team, but no one was looking at them and saying, Oh, you can't possibly get by Detroit. They looked like a nine and seven type of team. So if you're even above average, you're going to have a great chance to win this division. So they go from green Bay on to face Baltimore at us bank stadium. Now going into this one, there was a certain element of, this might be the letdown game. Baltimore is a really well-coached team, and once again, you don't have Stephon Diggs. Their defense is good. Joe Flacco has the capability at times to just start throwing the ball down the field and making plays. But right off the bat, their deep play threat, Mike Wallace, a former Viking, is (laughs) taken out by Andrew Sandejo, a hit that Mike Zimmer said he felt was not dirty, and the Vikings made T-shirts about how it wasn't dirty, Uh, I would still say that it was at least not dirty uh, in the sense that he meant to do it, but a suspendable, typical type of Anderson Dejo launching your body at somebody. And it was, 
I think one of the more scary plays since I've been covering the team to have a guy down like that and, and a head-to-head contact with Sendejo and Mike Wallace. So he leaves the game, and, and from that point, we know that Baltimore is not going to be able to move the ball. But on the offensive side, Courtney, we are still at, at this moment not sold on Case Keenum being a good quarterback because he's struggling. He starts off this game throwing a bomb to Laquan Treadwell in which Treadwell mistimes the jump and it's intercepted by Brandon Carr. And they're not throwing the ball all over the Baltimore Ravens. And this is kind of a grind fest early in this game. We get to halftime and it's nine to six Vikings. And uh, this was actually Treadwell's chance. If he was ever going to prove everybody wrong, that he was going to step up. This was his opportunity with digs out. And it just didn't happen. And also, it was one of those games that we looked at and said, you know, when Thielen doesn't have digs, things aren't the same either. Yeah, and that was just to, if I'm correct, was that not where he got in trouble for the crack crack back block um, on special teams against the Ravens, Laquan Treadwell, that is? He got, like, fined, like, nearly 30 grand for that. Because he had done it against Green Bay and gotten in trouble. And then I think he did again, and that was what incensed Mike Zimmer at some yeah, at some it, point in the season. I'll have to check it out. But but the downfall of Laquan Treadwell, I think, was complete uh, at this point when he couldn't step up and make plays against Baltimore. Yeah, and that was still so early in the game. I mean, you're you're wondering like, okay, great, is this where the letdown happens? Because I'm with you. They're coming off two really good wins against NFC North opponents, and this Baltimore team was running the ball really well. Uh, up until this point um, and you think okay well they're going to come head to head with the number one defense in the NFL defense that's going to do its part offense needs to step up and and thankfully this is where the acquisition of Latavius Murray yes. comes into play and you'll remember they acquired him in free agency and then they get Dalvin Cook and you're kind of wondering okay well what what is the play here well you're, you're thankful at this point that Murray had remained so patient in spite of the ankle injury and it, that taking a little bit longer than he anticipated to come back from, in spite of you know Dalvin Cook early on in the season taking all of the reps. Um, but Murray had a really, really good game. And I keep thinking about that 35-yard run that he had in the third quarter because Kai Forbath was 6-for-6 six six this game. Let's not forget Case's inconsistency that Kai Forbath was very much part of the reason that they won that game, which was set up by the field position they got from Latavius Murray in the run game. No, that's right. And he goes for 18 rushes, 113 yards, and finally showed burst. That was the key to this game is Latavius Murray has his explosiveness back because with the Oakland Raiders, he had been a pro bowl running back and our expectation for him when Delvin cook came out was that he was going to step up and he was going to be that star again, but it had not yet happened in the previous two weeks where most of the runs, it seems like he would get the ball and he was just stuck in the mud. And he admitted after one of these games that the ankle was still sort of coming along and he didn't feel like he was 100% yet. And when he exploded for that 35-yard run, that's when he looked like the Latavius Murray that we had watched on film leading up to that season with the Oakland Raiders trying to figure out how he was going to fit with this team. And, and then the tandem started at that point to really gel because you also had a good day for Jarek McKinnon in this game too, mm-hmm. had a couple of catches, 14 rushes for 47 yards, and you knew at that point that these two could kind of split the load and fill in the shoes of Delvin Cook, and it wasn't going to be a disaster. And I felt that way in Chicago with the way that Jarek McKinnon had played because everyone knew he was an explosive athlete and he could catch the ball and make plays, but Murray had showed absolutely nothing up until that point. And then in this game, he shows that he can carry the load at times, and he would have to do that quite a bit throughout this season. Yeah, and I think that you saw truly what the scouting report had been on Latavius Murray um, kind of play out in that Week 7 game. Like Big, powerful rusher, really good in pass protection, which he had been um, you know, throughout his career. I mean, that's always been – he's a huge dude playing running back, downhill runner, long strider. Um, 
And when he got in space, like he's not, you know, that's something that we don't talk about all that much with Latavius Murray because we anticipate him being a between the tackles type rusher. Um, he can be pretty good. And I think that he really gave them some momentum in like when they couldn't get the passing game going against the Ravens, it was, it was Murray who scores the lone touchdown in that 24-16 win. These field goals carried them the rest of the way. Um, and this is his best performance to date as a Viking. And I, I will always go back and look at that one and just think about the physicality that he ran with that day. Um, and, and knowing that the Vikings running game is going to be okay. Because this, yes. yep. this is three weeks removed from Dalvin Cook going down against Detroit in week four. And you're kind of wondering, okay, this you know, two, two-headed monster that they have uh, in Murray and McKinnon, what is it really? Is, is McKinnon going to be your change of pace guy? Is he going to be as effective as Cook, you know, at least was projected to be in the passing game, which we know took a couple years to, you know, truly culminate. But, um, you know, what were each of their roles going to be? How defined were they going to be? Were they going to be that defined? And I think that, you know, Baltimore had a pretty bad run defense. I mean, I'm not going to, like, sugarcoat it and say, like, oh, like, Murray did this against the number one run defense in the NFL. They were pretty deteriorated. But most of those yards, those 113 yards, 75 were before initial contact. So, of you know, that's – you know, you think about kind of like how bad their defense was, but also what he was able to do with that in the product of his entire performance. And the offensive line was gelling, too. And, uh, and they got hurt, too, which is the yes, crazy part. Yes. Like, Reef had the knee injury, and then I want to say Jeremiah Searles wasn't even playing in that game because he was hurt. It might have been the game where Danny Isadora gets in for a little bit. But we, we started to see that the offensive line could hold up. It's the only offensive line in the Mike Zimmer era that you would trust to hold up for any point of time. But with them being able to create uh, those rushing lanes for Latavius Murray and Pat Shermer also really focused a lot on the running game as well, just like we see from Gary Kubiak these days. And, and so they needed the offensive line to be good at run blocking. And overall, they were uh, their pass protection at times would struggle throughout this season. But Case Keenum would make up for that by moving around. And speaking of Keenum, he, he goes on to Cleveland and they struggle in the first half, and uh-huh. it's slow, and a lot of us are still saying, I don't believe in Case. He's won three games in a row, but all of them have mostly been ugly in some fashion or another, and I ran the numbers here from the Pittsburgh game to the Cleveland win, through that win. He had an 88 quarterback rating, 63% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, three picks. There wasn't really much to indicate to us that he was going to be anything more than a glorified game manager. And the Cleveland game showed that quite a bit, that there could be long stretches where Case Keenum really couldn't effectively operate the offense. They go into halftime losing 13 to 12. This season had some ugly halftime scores, nine to six, three to two in Chicago, 13 to 12 in Cleveland or in uh, London playing against Cleveland. And then they come out and they take care of business. Another quarterback, really, really poor performance by Deshaun Kaiser. Somebody that was supposed to be promising for the Browns wasn't, and was definitely not up to the task. Now coming out of this one though, Courtney, the, the biggest thing for me, the biggest takeaway is that Everson Griffin gets hurt at the end of the game. And we haven't talked yet about 2017 Everson Griffin. But when mm-hmm. you go back through the start of the season, one of the biggest storylines was this is the Everson Griffin where everything is coming together. So from the start of the season through Cleveland, he had a sack in every single game. He had already put up 10 sacks that season and was completely dominating for whatever reason, at the end of this game, he's still on the field, and I still have no idea why. The game is over. Cleveland's just throwing checkdowns, and nothing's really happening. Griffin had been dominant that day, and then at the very end, the very last play, he's still sitting on the ground. And, and he took his shoe off. And took his shoe off, and we knew that he was injured, and I still cannot figure out why he would have been on the field at that point in a blowout win. I don't know. I mean, that's that's it's not the biggest mystery of the 2017 season, but it certainly falls into the what were they thinking category, because I remember post game Everson tried to downplay what ended up being plantar fasciitis, which is incredibly painful. And he played through that during his best season 
as a Viking, mm-hmm. the year that you know he sets a, a career high in sacks. And all I can really remember from that press conference, because I was not in London, um, I watched the live stream, and you'll remember he was talking, like he was deflecting all of these questions, I'm fine, I'm fine, and he was like, talking about the Hilton hotel that they had or whatever hotel they were at <laughs> with like the, the blinds that you can control with a remote. That ah, yes, yes, down that's and right. And, and everybody in there laughing kind of nervously. Like what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, he hurt his foot and I don't know if it was just the pain uh, getting to him at that point. But like, I mean, it was just, it was so bizarre. And, and the way that that was handled, why was he on the field at that point? I have no clue. I don't think we ever really got much of an answer on that whatsoever. All we know is that Everson Griffin played through something that a lot of players would have been sidelined with. Well, it turns out to be one of the big miscues of a season where most things went right for them. The final seven games of the year, he only comes away with three sacks, one sack in the two playoff games. And it just wasn't the same Everson Griffin. And being around the locker room, I remember he was not talking to reporters. He was very, very upset. Uh, one day he he barked at uh, me for just going over and, and trying to ask him a few questions. And then later apologized, but was just saying that, I, you know, I've been in a lot of pain here. I'm struggling with my injury. And, uh, you know, that... That hurt their defense, not enough to derail this great season, but eventually, because it, it never disappeared, and something like plantar fasciitis doesn't just go away, uh, and, and playing through it is really difficult. So when they got to the playoffs, he couldn't be the same level of dominant Everson Griffin that he could have been. Aside from that, I mean, this goes in the all-time list of most forgettable Minnesota Vikings games, I think. I mean, I, I went through this one searching up and down for anything that would be interesting. And aside from the first half, Case Keenum struggling and Kai Forbath overseas hitting a 51-yard field goal, which he was really good this that season, Kai Forbath. That was a point that they were coming off of the year before where Blair Walsh had struggled and Kai Forbath was making every kick. And uh, as everyone knows, he would make a very, very clutch one later on. But they finally did have a trusty kicker. That's what you came out of Cleveland with and into the bye week. So I went back and found my analysis post that I wrote off of TV from this game, and it was a categories thing. And in the what it means category, I think this is kind of echoing what everybody at the time thought. Yeah, Case stepped up to convert some really big throws on third down. Um, and, and I'll always remember that game towards the end for his scrambling ability and what that did and what that allowed Adam Thielen to do to be able to get away from whoever that deep safety was in the end zone. Um, and that's something that even to this day, they've kind of missed on uh, with their cousins. But, you know, all of those passes that were batted down, I think I lost track of how many passes that were tipped uh, or, you know, nearly intercepted that case through that game. And I'm looking at this, this analysis I wrote and I'll read it, quote, the Vikings window of how long they can keep relying on Keenum to win games is closing. They'll need <laughs> to utilize the bye week to determine how they're going to manage the position going forward. Now, I'll take you back at least to my mind during all of this because you're thinking, OK, pretty soon Teddy's going to have to he'll be available to come off of Puck. Yep. Um, and I, mean, I think he if, correct me if I'm wrong. He was already back in practice at this point. He was. Um, and the window was open because it was so confusing because Mike Zimmer, I remember, had to come out and kind of clarify what he meant. Um, he said something about, uh, you know, with London, it's – hold on, I've, I found it here. It's Vikings coach Mike Zimmer clarifies what he meant when he told the media in London that he hopes to have a decision to make regarding Minnesota's quarterback situation after the bye week. And it was kind of just like that Bridgewater had been practicing for the last two weeks after he was medically cleared to return on October 16th, which was a pretty monumental day. Um, but we didn't know that even if he was activated at the end of that 21-day window, if he was going to be able to start. I mean, that's, that's I think, what Mike Zimmer was trying to clarify when he talked to us about this because there was still such an unknown with Case Keenum because at this point he had been the starter essentially since week five. Um, and we just didn't know there was so much uncertainty because he got bailed out by receiver play, by a really good performance of Latavius Murray in week seven, by the defense on a consistent basis. And you just wondered, okay, now they have a perfect chance. They're at the bye week. They can think this thing through. Are they going to continue with case going forward? Because coming out of the bye, 
was the Washington was the Washington game. And we can obviously segue into that because I think everybody at that point, when they see that Teddy's going to be active for that game is anticipating the first chance Mike Zimmer gets, he's going to go put him in. Right. It was not if, but when Mike Zimmer will turn to Teddy Bridgewater, because we knew that that relationship was so close and that he trusted Teddy and Everson Griffin revealed to us. And I'm sure Mike Zimmer was not super happy about this, that the team leaders had discussed whether they should turn things over to Teddy. And they had decided that they were winning with case. Now, part of the, the funny I guess uh, nature of how the NFL works is that case had played a bunch of bad quarterbacks. He had played, you know, Mitch Trubisky in his first game and Brett Hundley and Joe Flacco and Deshaun Kaiser. And that's how he had won those games and he hadn't performed particularly well. So it made a lot of sense to still be skeptical, but we also didn't know what version of Teddy Bridgewater would come back if he was given the starting job back because it had been so long since the guy had played football at all. So they go to Washington and on the sideline, Teddy is finally active for the first time since Blair Walsh shanked a field goal against the Seattle Seahawks for a real game. And they show Teddy on the sideline. He's got tears in his eyes. And, uh, and in this game, it was like someone early on flipped a switch for Case Keenum. And part of it might have been the Washington defense was fairly pathetic. Um, but he just starts throwing bombs down the field to Thielen and Diggs. Those two go off. Touchdowns, 49 yards, 51 yards. He's just launching it up there, and they're making plays. And after the game, we learned that Teddy Bridgewater had helped Case Keenum with one of the reads for, I think, yep. the second touchdown where he had made some point on him. Uh, on the sideline, well, you see when, you know, the safety does this, then you could throw it there and so forth. And so that relationship started to bond and we'll see later just how close those two became in the locker room. Even though a lot of people were thinking, when is Teddy going to play? When is Teddy going to play? But this one sticks out in my mind for a couple of reasons. First of all, Kirk Cousins ran for two touchdowns. Like what? <laughs> after seeing Kirk Cousins for a couple of years, him running for two touchdowns seems weird. But the biggest thing that happens in this game is, yeah, it's a good win. Everson Griffin ends up not playing in this one, but it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> I'll always remember that not to interrupt you. Do you remember that video that surfaced? I don't know whether it was Fox nine or me. I think actually the Vikings did it and it was Griffin in the tunnel. Oh yes. Oh yes. And, and how many, I was like, why is it so quiet? Did they forget to put the audio in here? And it's because they had to keep bleep, like not bleeping, <laughs> yes. but like lowering how many curse words, like they were just <laughs> trying to, but I mean, I wanted to run through a wall. Um, after listening to that piece, he's going around, he's hitting Tom Johnson in the head. He's hitting Linville in the head, like with like hit their helmets on. And it was, that was pretty inspiring stuff. And, and just seeing how the defense took the field that game. Cause Griffin thought he was going to play. Remember he went right, out yes. there for warmups and yep. um, he took a photo with an NFL network reporter and who he told he was going to play. And he obviously did not. Um, but we knew at that point that that plantar fasciitis, at least like kind of foreshadowing how serious that injury was. Yeah, for sure. And, and so later in the game, so the defense does not perform as well as it usually had during the season. And partly because, you know, Kirk cousins is a good quarterback. So he's keeping them in the game. Finally, we have excitement through the first half with a couple of big touchdowns. And then the Vikings go into the second half, just trying to protect a lead here. And Case Keenum nearly throws it away. He throws two, mm -hmm. two interceptions and both of them were, what exactly were Horrendous. you looking at? Right. Yes. And the first one was thrown into triple coverage, which I, off his back foot, no less. Um, and then the other one set the Redskins up like inside the five yard line. Right, so they end up pulling it within a touchdown with a Kirk Cousins run in the fourth quarter. This game is 35-27 solely because Case Keenum has thrown two horrendous interceptions. Now, Kai Forbath bails them out later with a very long field goal again, and then they, they close it out. Um, but those two interceptions haunted Mike Zimmer for the entire rest of the season. They were the ones that kept him up at night. And after this game, where Keenum throws for 304 yards, 21 for 29, Zimmer is still talking about, yeah, I don't like what he just did with those interceptions. And if he keeps doing that, it's going to get us later. And of course, Mike Zimmer turned out to be right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it was always that type of stuff with Cakes because you could never get 
too high or you could never fully buy into the good case because you knew that this stuff would rear its head at some point. And those two interceptions on back-to-back drives, no less. Um, personally, I was kind of surprised that he wasn't pulled right then because Zimmer's leash on case was so short, yes. despite all that we knew about what was happening behind the scenes and how the team believed in him and they wanted to keep going because they were winning with him. This was one of the moments where I'm like, if it doesn't happen now, it might not happen ever um, because they had a lead to protect in case was kind of single-handedly throwing the game away. Yeah, no. And he, he very, uh, very much came close to doing that. And, we agreed with Mike Zimmer at that time that uh, the horseshoe around Case Keenum's neck, eventually that luck was going to run out. But also it began the storyline of what is Mike Zimmer doing in his handling of Case Keenum? If you're going to stay with him as your quarterback, then then why are you making it public that you're so scared of him <laughs> uh, making mistakes? And, and this was an, a very much an impressive part of Case Keenum is that week to week, we would go to up to him and we would say, all right, well, coach said that uh, you are going to throw the game away eventually and stuff. And he would just, you know, play it straight the whole time. He clearly didn't enjoy those questions, but it did not impact him at all. And the next week he solidified himself. So they're seven and two now. And the following week and our last game to look at here for this uh, episode is against the Los Angeles Rams, where Case Keenum solidifies he's going to be the quarterback the rest of the way because you just beat one of the biggest and best teams in the NFL. And, and But this one, Courtney, was not so much about the offense. It was much more, in my mind, about Mike Zimmer's defense at home showing that at U.S. Bank Stadium, even the number one offense in the NFL in the Los Angeles Rams and the hottest coach out there, Sean McVay, they could be shut down at U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, and if I if I remember correctly, was it not Anthony Harris? It who, was on Cooper Cup. Bro- yep. On Cooper Cup, he broke through um, right when they were about to score. Yep, that was kind of my, one of my first like mo- true mem- moments of remembering Anthony Harris being like, okay, this guy's something special. I mean, I didn't think he'd be a starting safety and get franchise tagged, you know, three <laughs> years later and have a chance to break the bank that way. But I figured, okay. It's not just Harrison Smith and Andrew Sandejo back there. They've got some quality depth. And, and, you know, obviously he was known for his special teams play at that point. But, yeah, that was um, that was definitely a game to remember, not only for Keenum becoming the starter going forward, getting rid of the ambiguity, but really for what the defense did to what we thought. This was, We thought this was going to be a shootout yep. like it was a year later. But um, to what they did. What they did to the Rams at U.S. Bank Stadium, what they did to Todd Gurley that game, um, I think this is when people really started to believe that they could go very far in this thing and potentially be a Super Bowl team. In total, the Los Angeles Rams in this game finished with 17 rushes for 45 yards, net passing yards, so takeaway sacks of 209, and they go 3-for-11 on third downs. It was also our hint that Jared Goff, as great as he was playing that season, as great as their offense looked, that Jared Goff could get rattled or that you could get to Jared Goff. And no one ever said this to us, but I think Mike Zimmer knew the key to Jared Goff was using Harrison Smith to to make those last-second adjustments so Sean McVay couldn't just read the defense and tell Jared Goff in his ear where to throw to. That became a story that was out there, and I think they made extra effort that game to deceive the heck out of Jared Goff at the line of scrimmage because he looked mostly in this game like he was completely lost, and the longest pass he completed the entire day was only 23 yards. Yeah, and I I mean, there's... To shut down the def- to shut down an offense that was at that point rolling through the NFC and just rolling at that point of the season, um, I think a lot of that had to do not just with Harrison Smith, but think about what they got from Mackenzie Alexander and Terrence Newman that game and the number of nickel blitzes that they had um, and just all of that factoring in of how good their pass defense was. I mean, the Rams never really stood a chance because of how deceptive the Vikings could be defensively uh, in taking advantage of a very young quarterback. Yep. Yep. And uh, this was the game where we had to declare them officially Super Bowl contenders because you could, you could sort of well, actually them for every other game. Like, okay, well, you beat 
the Packers without Rodgers. You beat Washington on the road, okay, but you still gave up 30 points to Kirk Cousins in Washington. And, all right, Case Keenum has had two good games so far, but let's see him beat a great team. And he beat a great team and came up with the biggest play of the year to that point uh, on a throw to Adam Thielen that officially ended this game. So it was... um, 14-7 into the fourth quarter, like you said, not at all what we expected to happen that day. And he throws pretty much just a screen pass or a little, a little, you know, short hook or something to Adam Thielen, grabs it, goes 65 yards for a touchdown. And that was it for that game. And all of us wrote, rightfully so, this defense is for real. And to enough extent to win, this offense is for real too. Yeah, I I actually I'm looking at two things that I have here. Um, one of my analysis because I remember this specifically. I kind of got dragged um, for what this was uh, right after the game because immediately you're you know in my mind I'm still thinking about the throws that Keenum threw, the ones that Keenum threw, especially where Diggs had to Diggs and Thielen both had to use incredible body control and yes. bail him It was out. the one to Thielen um, where he said he could yes. see it, but he definitely couldn't see it. Yep. Yes. And to me, I'm thinking about that and saying, okay, yeah, this is still a conundrum. They've got to figure this out. And, you know, he didn't do enough to lose his job that day, but does he automatically get granted the keys to the offense from for another week with Teddy sitting there? Like, I – I remember I put that out there and this was part of my like initial analysis when you're filing right at the gun before you've had a chance to think it through. And people were not thrilled with me. Um, I remember people were like, you're so negative. This team is winning with case. Like they were taking the team approach. I think I was kind of seeing it through the lens of Mike Zimmer because I remember watching him on the sideline with my binoculars thinking, Oh my God, he's going to lose his mind. If case makes another throw like that. But then when you kind of digest it and you think, okay, how many more weeks of this ambiguity are we going to have? Mm-hmm. At what point is Mike Zimmer just going to concede? And, and, and it's not be a question because it's not like we were bringing it up every single week. I mean, yes, we were, but it wasn't like Zimmer was, you know, he was, he was, he was kind of asking for it at that point too. It wasn't like he was poo-pooing our questions and put brushing right. it aside. He wasn't celebrating he was, Case Keenum. No. And I mean, the week after that, going into the Detroit game is when he talked about the horseshoe. No, that was, um, uh, not was it horseshoe or was it the thing that has to deal with a part of the male anatomy? <laughs> uh, yeah, the um, the ladder. Yeah, yeah, I think we. Yeah, okay. Anyway, yeah, I don't know yeah. when that. I think that was the the Rams one, right? Because you talked about no, it wasn't. That was it was the that one was Detroit. Oh, that Detroit was Thanksgiving okay. game because I remember going on Sports Center and I was like, how the hell do I say this <laughs> right. on TV yeah. and not get in trouble? He um, has a gumption. gumption. Yeah, gumption. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was. Uh, well, that's interesting you know, to me though that that you weren't entirely sold at that point on case. Now I wasn't he, either. Here's why. Long term. Let me let me read you this because it's this a quote from Mike Zimmer when he was you know when we asked him about this quote. It's going to be hard to yank him out out of there right now he's playing pretty he's playing good (laughs) i still have really high hopes you know a lot of things happen throughout the course of the season so we'll just see how it goes yeah that's not how are we supposed to buy in the case and the in the belief that some people on this team really think he can he can do this um when mike zimmer is saying what he's saying yeah, that's a About great point. That's a great point. So on the team level at that point, they're 8-2, and two, and they've just beaten the number one offense in the NFL at home and looked really good doing it on defense. And they had only allowed 30 points one time the entire season, and that's when Case Keenum gave Washington a couple of interceptions. And to hold the Rams to only seven, they deserve to be thought of as they're going to win the division. They are a legit contender. But you are right that the Case Keenum debates were turned up to 11. Every article that we wrote inside the comments was constant, nonstop, yeah, is Case Keenum really the guy? Can they really win with Case Keenum? And those debates were clearly going on inside Winter Park at that time as well, and probably even inside the locker room, which in our next episode we'll get to their loss against Carolina, where that sort of comes to a head a little bit. Uh, but uh, this game still signifies their first victory where you could say, you whooped a great team otherwise you could have said now schedule or this quarterback isn't great you guys still lost to the lions a few weeks back we're not sure about you 
that was the you beat a good team, you proved you can do it, even if there was still questions at the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, this is where we knew this team is for real. We should start not talking about it as if this is lightning in a bottle entirely. And if it is, so be it and keep it going Mm -hmm. because they were winning games. They gave us no reason to believe that they couldn't continue on this this eight game win streak that they had and and thinking about it after that like there was the lions game the falcons game the panthers game which they ended up losing um and the Bengals, all you know all within that four week stretch and you you look at that and say like i I mean i'd have to go back and look at what i had i don't think i picked them to lose any of those games Mm -hmm. in there simply because of what i saw um from that from that rams game i mean that to me in hindsight was the moment where it's the aha moment of, hey, got to roll with Case because he's continuing to put up good performances, not great. I mean, he had moments of great, he had really good moments, really great moments at times, but he also would put, make you have moments that put your hand in your head because you're like, what is he doing out there? Um, but I I just remember thinking, okay, well, when are they going to lose? At this point, it's a clear path to locking up that first round bye. And I will never forget people comparing Case to Brett Favre in the way that he ran around and threw the ball and, and was a playmaker. And yeah, uh, that like was back there. very much shark jumping in terms of comparing Case Keenum to somebody. But at the same time, that's how often he was doing it, rolling around, running around and making plays. Zimmer questioned it, but fans just could not get enough of it. And he sort of reached a, a fever pitch with that win over the Rams. So that is episode three, a very fascinating section where the Vikings go from, hey, uh, maybe they can win a few games with Case to Aaron Rodgers is out. You're now favorites for the division to beating one of the best teams in the NFC at home. And on our next episode, we go from week 12 to the end of the season. Teddy Bridgewater gets in a football game. They get another huge defining win and a loss that was maybe an indicator of some things to come. So that will be episode four in our five part series. Courtney Cronin, thank you so much for spending the time to look back at this section of the 2017 season. That was a very fun walk down memory lane. I will never forget the 2017 season just for the fact that it was my first year on the Vikings beat, but how nuts that period was, uh, especially from week six to 11, like we just talked about, because you just didn't know, hey, is this going to continue? When is when when did the wheel stop of this bus stop rolling? And, and they really didn't. So it was kind of fun to be a part of because it was, all, it was always something new every day when you went out there.